You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. On January 18th, Queen's University announced a new creative partnership with world-renowned Canadian photographer and honorary degree recipient from Queen's University, Edward Bertinsky, to help realize his new public art piece titled Standing Whale. The partnership will engage the expertise and innovative thinking of students in multiple programs across the faculties of engineering and applied science and the Faculty of Arts and Science here at Queen's. As part of the 2021-22 curriculum, special projects in these programs will be designed to tackle structural and conceptual changes with the aim of bringing this artwork to life in a public setting. And with us today to talk about this exciting project are the world-renowned photographer, Dr. Edward Bertinsky, and Dr. Kevin Deluzio, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. Welcome, Edward and Kevin. Great to be here, Dinah. Great to see you, Dinah. Thank you both. Thank you. So, Edward, can you tell us about Standing Whale, your your vision for this massive project and its goals and North Atlantic inspirations? Well, the idea came to me about five years ago. So this has been slowly unfolding over that period of time, uh, mostly kind of thinking about how, you know, how can we make it interesting or how can I make it interesting as a public project? And it came about as a result of um, an incident that happened on the coast of Newfoundland, where a whole pod of eight uh, Atlantic blues uh, were trapped by ice that surrounded them, uh, largely ice, that I would think, coming off of the, the Canadian Ice Shield and Greenland. And as you, know, you might know, or as you may have heard, there's a lot more ice coming down as a result of global warming. A lot more is calving off of the icebergs. And, mm-hmm. and in this case, so much came down that it trapped them as they were um, hunting for krill off the coast. So when they try to get away uh, between the coast and the ice pack, and they went under the ice pack, they, it was too, too distant and they all drowned. Um, and in that drowning, and that was like 4% of the population. And it was such a, so it's, it is, connected to climate change as well. And with all of those things, I said, how do we memorialize this? Or how can I make a sculpture that brings this incident, this, you know, uh, cause they're actually spending most of their time in our waters. So the, the, the great Atlantic blues, uh, the largest mammal on the planet, by the way, that's ever, the planet's ever produced still with us here. And we are custodians in a way of the Atlantic blues. They spend 60 to 70% of their time in Canadian waters hunting for krill. So it's mm-hmm. a very powerful Canadian story. Um, and I somehow thought, well, when you go into like a ROM or whatever, you see dinosaurs everywhere. And they haven't been with us for over 60 million years. And yet these massive blues are nowhere to be found on those aisles. And, and, and there's very, very little actually understood about them compared to the fascination with these dinosaurs that were there. So on all kinds of levels, I thought, how do we bring this story and memorialize it and bring it to life as a sculpture? So the idea of taking the largest of these, so the Royal Ontario Museum, when this incident occurred, went to the shores and found it, pulled in those whales, uh, cleaned them, scrubbed them clean, um, had them 
processed and uh, and and then I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to scan all these bones and to reconstruct the largest of them, which is 78 feet long? The actual skull itself is 22 feet high. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting kind of thinking of all the stories, you know, Moby Dick or Pinocchio being swallowed by the whale? Wouldn't it be amazing to create a sculpture where you can actually stand in the mouth of the whale and see this 22 foot mouth open and you're standing in the middle of the mouth looking up into the rib cage and i thought that was a powerful way to understand what this mammal is and it's a one-to-one kind of rendition of it mm-hmm. so to me it was like how do i bring this sculpture in a way that uh, reminds us that this animal uh, lives amongst us and it's a very interesting story because whales are like you know dolphins are mammals so they were mammals on land they were actually um Largely, I think they're, they're believed that they were uh, hippos and, and, and the food was so much better in the oceans that they started feeding in the oceans and developed a blowhole and, and then started to feed and live in the oceans as mammals. And so, so it, it, it's a, and as, as all life came from the sea, so li- all life came from the sea to land. And now here's a land mammal that went back to the sea to become the largest mammal ever produced on the planet. So I think that story is also uh, not understood completely and, and uh, it's the loudest animal on the planet its call can be heard a thousand kilometers away by another whale so wow. you know again i want to bring all these stories of this incredible animal that is still here but there's only 250 of them left in, in, in of the atlantic blues so they're very very precariously sitting um you know on the edge of extinction Thank you so much for sharing. Now, Edward, how does this new project build on your canon? Well, I've always been interested in technology and photography, and I've always watched how I can take these tools and begin to tell stories with these tools. And so I I always said photography 1.0 is the chemical, optical, you know, the the dark room and the fixers and all of that, that traditional photography that that was 150 years in the making. And then we discovered digital. Now, all of a sudden, an image is ones and zeros. And we can take that image and we can put it to printers, we can send it to our friends, we can send it around the world. It changed everything. So I call that photography 2.0, the digitization of the image. And now it's totally free to, to move around the world to, 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 to you know, be digested on, on Instagram or whatever. So all of a sudden, that's a whole other evolution of, of the image. And then I started saying, well, not, now there's this thing called photogrammetry. So you can take that digital image and find an object in space somewhere, any object, you can find a building, a house, and you can take thousands of photographs with a digital uh, camera, with digital, put them into a piece of software, and that software organizes it all and puts them all together and creates a accurate 3D representation of that object. And so when I started working in 3D almost a decade ago, it was the fascination that it's the same tool that I've used in the two-dimensional world. And now I can use that same tool to create uh, like accurate two texture and to d- dimension and everything, perfect replicas of our real world, whether it's uh, you know, a, a truck or whether it's a, like I've, I've used it all kinds of things. And now I show it in my work all the time as augmented reality. So in my last exhibitions over the last four years has had 3D components. Mm-hmm. The difference here with a whale is I want to now manifest that 3D component into a 3D object. And that's why I went to Queens to say, can you help me think this through? 
I understand that the project Standing Whale does, of course, uh, build on your long and distinguished career in, as a format photographer of industrial landscapes, but also, again, comes on the heels, too, of your earlier critically acclaimed multidisciplinary Anthropocene project, a project that involved, as you just talked about, art photography, film, I think there was some virtual reality, augmented reality, 3D photography, and of course, the scientific research. So the new project, Standing Whale, appears again to be pushing your artistic practice into this third dimension, as we were just discussing, with this creation of the large-scale public art sculpture. But as the artist here, can you tell us more about the continued expansion and experimentation with this new media and forms and ultimately uh, why standing whale will be a freestanding sculpture and not a photograph or a film reel or virtual reality capture as you've done before in the past. In simple terms, why is the medium the message here? Well, I wanted to, if, if um, I found that when you try to um, show large objects uh, using um, augmented reality, <clears throat> which is basically your phone or an iPad. And I did one, I did uh, one of the largest trees in Canada, uh, Big Lonely Doug, and that was part of the Anthropocene project. And there's something mm -hmm. ab about it when you, you still get a sense of it, but there's real problems in triggering a large object like that, uh, in that, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, the further you, away, you move away from a target, um, the less it, uh, relationship it has, it gets unstable because it needs to see that target. It needs to hold on to that target. Uh, there are new ways of doing it, mm -hmm. but in the way we were doing it, um, we needed targets to, to, to deploy. Uh, we did a tusk pile and a, the tree and a rhinoceros. So we needed an object to, to become the trigger of augmented reality. And it is, it's a powerful way to, okay. to, to experience something in the round. And, and it's more, and it is photography. It, it, but a sculptural relationship to photography. It's a, a three-dimensional um, kind of relationship to the object. And with the whale, mm -hmm. to really understand its scale, to really get a sense of it, that I think the augmented reality experience of it, and I did try it, and I did have it at scale, and it wasn't satisfactory to me. There, there was something I thought, wow, if this was a real object in space, then you kind of get the scale of this animal. And this is not the biggest blue. The biggest blue they found bones of is uh, was 115 feet long. Yeah, a Pacific. Wow. So wow. when you think of that as a, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking 150, my, my house, most houses from one wall to the other are 45 feet. So it's like three houses long, you know, just to kind of, you know, of your interior, mm -hmm. just to kind of give you a bit of scale of, of what these things are. And whale hunting can you imagine a small little boat going hunting for something like that scale too it, it, it like the whole the 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 mythologies and then the realities of these whales and the, and how we hunted for them it was like our fuel it was it was lighting all the lamps and you know bring you know bringing light for century uh, to us and that there's mm -hmm. a whole story of that as well so as i the, the, as i started thinking about the whale and and the industrialization of it and and a whale, it would never actually, um, whale hunting never officially was banned. It just became commercially extinct. And commercially extinct means if you go out to, you know, the cost of going out to try and get them, and the, there's so few there, the, the viability of making that a, a, a business collapsed. 
that's why we stopped whale hunting. It was because there was too few of them left to make a to be able to, mm-hmm. to continue to make it viable. So, uh, so you know, again, all these I think learnings and all that become I think part of the sculpture. And I think it's something about you know the presence of it, and and I can imagine it at night lit beautifully in this kind of towering seventy-five foot you know. Uh, skeletal structure that will kind of invoke what I always like to try and invoke in my work, which is a a sense of wonder. But this wonder exists with us today. Okay. Wow. Thank you so much. Now, why did the, or how did the project idea become the collaborative opportunity you, you brought forward with Queens faculty and students? What motivated you to approach Queens? Uh, Well, actually, I've been back and forth with Queens on different projects since since my on doc over over a decade ago, uh, and there was an outreach, um, and uh, and I got a, a message, and I thought uh, I think Barbara mentioned originally came out, and then I thought, well, I have this idea, Barbara Crow, and I, I had this idea that I've been working on, and it would be great to engage uh, the school in a multidisciplinary way to to see if we can solve this problem. And I'm always interested in problem solving because I think most problems today are multidisciplinary. They're not single, you know, source problems. And so this one can spread right across from the art department all the way to the engineering department, to the materials and 3D printing and all of that are all somehow um, invoked in, in, in trying to realize this idea so um and then when kevin heard about it uh, uh he jumped on board immediately he thought i love the idea and so when i saw the enthusiasm about it because i've been percolating this for many years and and i thought okay and i think like everything things stalled um you know in 20 beginning of 2020 uh, and we all went into hibernation for a couple of years and then coming out of this hibernation i thought maybe this is the time to um, re-engage and engage with students and, 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 and for the first time bring this idea that's been percolating for five years into the public realm. So this is the first actually time I'm talking about uh, this project uh, publicly. So, um, so it's been kind of in my head and in my studio kind of slowly iterating to get to this point. Thank you so much. And now over to you, Kevin. Welcome back to Campus Beat. And it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Now, Kevin, I'd love to take the opportunity to learn from you more about the collaborations that we just chatted about with Edward. Uh, What kinds of multi and cross disciplinary opportunities will there be for uh, engineering faculty and students to not only work with Edward Bertinsky this world-renowned artist, but also with your colleagues over in, in the Faculty of Arts and Science. Um, Dinah, it's, it's wonderful to be back here uh, chatting with you. And this is, uh, it's really exciting to talk about this, this project. Um, uh, you can see the, you know, in, in, in Ed's description of this, you can see the passion, but the vision that is, that is really this, this artist's conception of, 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 of what is yet to exist in, 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 in the world. And I think, um, that vision captivated us for a couple of different reasons. One is just the sheer um, uh, immersive uh, experience that it would present for the, for the public if this thing was realized. But at the heart of this is an incredibly challenging engineering challenge. So I think the opportunity to uh, to to try to solve this problem, which we don't, we, we think it's solvable. I, I've got some, you know, we have some ideas around, I think it's solvable, <laughs> but a 78 foot freestanding structure 
in the shape of a, of a, of a skeleton of a whale that is mouth down is, uh, is, is not um, trivial. Uh, its own weight, for example, is a massive consideration. The, the, uh, a skeleton of its own accord does not stay together, right? A skeleton, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, so therefore, you know, figuring out the linkages, the, the material choices, how to deal with the, 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 this thing standing within the uh, uh, demands of weather, uh, the winds, the, the, the cold, the temperature, uh, also, and, and have it as an interactive experience um, fundamentally excites me as an engineer and especially to be able to pose that kind of a problem to our students. So that's I think mm-hmm. the, the, the the fundamental um, uh, uh, attraction to this to this project, and of course the ability for students and and faculty to be able to work with someone as renowned as as Ed Brutinsky. But the but the other point is what you what you touched touched on, which is the interdisciplinary collaborations for this thing truly to be to realize the vision that it has. We're talking about. Uh, being able to do storytelling within either in a, in a, in a virtual ses- setting with, with triggers that come off the sculpture or with things that are built into the sculpture. We're talking about uh, 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 being able to tell those stories and the history and the impact of the of whales on society and society on, 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 on what we do as, as people, our impact on, on the world around us. And that really requires collaboration into the humanities, the arts, the social sciences, into our, into our, uh, across faculty. And I think it's something that, that Ed said earlier as well. You know, if we look at the grand challenges that are, that, that we're facing in society, be it, you know, this, this, this pandemic that we're in the midst of now, climate change, these are not things that can be solved from a technological only solution. These are solutions that will require all of us at the table, uh, collaboration across faculties. And this is, or, and disciplines, and this is a great example of that as well. This is, a, this is this in its own realm, getting this into realization is a, is a grand challenge and really mm-hmm. will require those collaborations. And I think our students get excited about those collaborations and our, and our faculty as well. So we've learned from you your thoughts on the opportunities to, again, apply the applied science that uh, takes place in engineering to this artwork in general. And you've touched on uh, how excited you are about joining Bertinsky's project uh, dedicated to the human impact on the environment, too. Thank you so much. Is there something in this project that you would love to be able to work on directly, too, within your own, uh, within your own discipline? Uh, um, I mean, personally, of course, I'm, I'm a biomedical engineer, so I, I, my, own, my own area of research is biomechanics and biomedical engineering. And uh, so, so, yes, when I look at this bone structure and I look at the, uh, the way of trying to create this, uh, yes, I, I get interested uh, absolutely in, in that challenge of how to keep these, uh, this bone structure um, aligned in a way that, 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 is, that, it, that is still within the vision of, 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 a, of a skeleton, but in a way that can be done that is stable and safe and, and, and beautiful. Um, so yeah, absolutely this. And I, and I have to tell you when we've talked about this with our colleagues across the university, um, we have a, a group in mechanical engineering that is running with this. And uh, it's a great mix of people that, that, that um, 
that have the expertise of structural design and optimized structural design, as well as uh, uh, an expert in the field of bone biomechanics. Um, so yeah, I think this is this captures that, and you see some of our students in the same area saying, "Wow, this is this is this is definitely captures that 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 interest into that discipline." So cool, amazing! Thank you so much. Now for both of you gentlemen, uh, let's hear more about what the two of you have in mind about the projects, foundations and scaffolding, if you will, the skeleton. <laughs> Uh, what are the next steps to getting uh, the sculpture, Edward, from a conceptual drawing board to its physical existence? And for you, Kevin, getting together, getting the team together, how is that working logistically too? Let's hear more. Maybe I'll, I'll jump in just to start a bit uh, and if you, with your permission. I think some of the core challenges are in the feasibility. So, you know, the, one of the questions is, is can we get this to, uh, to, um, to stand freely? And for that, we've identified a few key elements. For example, you know, attachment to the ground, how will that happen? The, the neck joint of this is a, is, a, is a particular point. So I think the way we are starting this is with analysis that is computational. Uh, so, so, so computer simulations based on the scans that Ed and his team have produced to do some computational modeling with the aim of getting a scale model, maybe a tenth scale or something like that, to be able to do some physical testing on. So that's the beginning of the project within, within our realm. And uh, we're also working together with a number of teams across campus as well, and then collaborating with, um, with, with, with Edward's team to kind of do that in, in an iterative way. Edward, what do you think? What's happening next? Uh, well, I think I think what's happening is that there there are uh, uh, meetings with uh, my studio partner David Didar, who's kind of my uh, designer that I work with all the time as well, and he's he's worked with me on all kinds of different projects, and he's pretty good at you know thinking about materials, thinking about you know uh, you know how this might be solved as well. So he's in dialogue on a every every couple of weeks. He's in dialogue with the team. And we realized that it's a combination of things because it's got to withstand. If this was an interior sculpture, that would be one thing. You don't have the winds, you don't have the rain, you don't have the ice, you don't have the, you know, weather, you know, mm -hmm. and we live in a four seasons climate and it can get pretty harsh out there. Yeah. Um, and we, I, I'd like to see this thing kind of with no maintenance, you know, a maintenance free sculpture that, you know, may need to be tweaked, you know, every 50 years or something to be recoded or whatever, something that's, that's robust. So it's a materials challenge. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, you know a, a, how how the coating is the the feeling of that coating. I want it to be kind of off white, you know, like a kind of like bleached whale. So I, I want it, to, you know, it could go slightly darker than that. I mean, the actual whale bones themselves are more in the brown yellow, but I want something that feels more like our conception of whale bones, which are more light or ones that are found on beaches that have been bleached out. And also that brightness of the bone looking is, is ideal for evening viewing, I think, with, uh, with light on it. It'll really pop against the, uh, against the sky in a, in a different way. So I'm trying to understand how it might feel at night as well. So, so, so that's where I think the, the issues are. And, and then also this idea that 
you know, we have both the sciences and, and humanities. And my original talk I did with uh, um, at Queens is over a decade ago, was talking about the importance of the humanities and, and, and engineering kind of, and sciences bringing their ideas together. And there was at that time, a big controversy on Wolf Island. And there were the controversy about these windmills and nobody yeah. wanted them. And a lot of neighbors didn't want them because it, it reduced the real estate values. They saw them as, as sore points on the landscape or eyesores. And I thought, how did that happen? I mean, because here's something that we invented, science and engineering and materials and all that, and a lot of understanding to get that, to create something. When I see a wind, wind turbine, I see hope and I see my future for my children mm -hmm. uh, and my future as well, because this isn't something in the distant future. This is happening here and now. And, and what I felt is that, again, the humanities were left out. The narrative wasn't, wasn't developed to be a counterpoint to other self-interest narratives, call mm -hmm. it fossil fuel industry that sees these as a threat, or, you know, th th there are, you know, someone else has taken a narrative away and said, oh, these things, they kill birds, and in some cases they do, and so do uh, towers, and, or, or, you know, they, they make noise that, you know, drives people crazy, but the biggest, you know, single narrative that, that was a game killer, which was it re reduces your real estate value, which for most people, if they own real estate, it's the largest single asset in in their lives and something that threatens that asset is immediately seen as a negative so so somehow that narrative was lost and i and so i think that that this you know it goes back a long way to have this kind of collaboration between the humanities and sciences because not only do we have to invent things that solve our problems but we have to tell that story well too that's what the humanities so um, we before we uh, started recording our conversation, you were also talking about work that you were doing uh, or you've been doing throughout the pandemic with your core team. Are there challenges and opportunities that the pandemic has uh, presented for getting this project off the ground, uh, working with a new team, meeting together, getting into lab space together? What are some challenges, but also some opportunities that the pandemic presents? Well, I think the challenges are, of course, just being in the room together and the kind of collegiality that you get when you meet people face to face. And mm -hmm. uh, we did get to meet the team at Queens uh, for one meeting, which was great. I think for a lot of the, the the staff, the profs there, it was the first time they actually got out of their homes and actually had a real encounter with 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 other human beings. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, but I think uh, to me, it was just this period of time I've been busy, you know, and the studio has been quite busy. And, and so bringing this project back in, it was actually just a, a great thing when I got the email uh, from Queens to say any ideas of how we could work together. And I thought, and I had thought that there'd be, uh, you know, a university would be a great um, next step for this project because it now needs to be, you know, um, again, prototyped and, and verified as to whether this is feasible. So we need, this is a feasibility study and, um, and what better, uh, you know, place to start is with uh, Queens Engineering, which is, you know, renowned for some of the best engineering uh, uh, education in, in, in the country and the world for that matter. Okay. 
And now, Kevin, what about uh, identifying collaborators within your own faculty, but also within uh, arts and science? Uh, what are the next steps uh, to recruiting people in order to realize Edward's vision? Yeah, um, so we've got a bit of a jump start on this in the fall, as as I mentioned with the um, our first, I think it was our first in-person meeting that we'd had in engineering. I don't know how long with this massive room and everybody spread out and mass, but it was it was really inspiring to, again for Ed to share the story with some of the faculty members and teams. We had people there from engineering and arts and science present at that first meeting. And what spawned after that was a series of design challenges that were incorporated into our capstone design courses. And this occurred in departments of you know, uh, geology and geological engineering and civil engineering, mechanical engineering and others where students took part of that challenge and they've been working to solve parts of this along this year. It'd be exciting to see what they come up with. Some of their preliminary designs were shared with Ed and his team in, in December. We're also launching um, some research projects because some of this, uh, again, there's some real fundamental questions to, to answer. And so we'll have some graduate students who will be joining this team very soon uh, along with it. And similarly, in arts and science, there's a call going out now that this is released to the community to say, you know, how can we participate? So, for example, we've had participation and engagement with the Agnes, uh, of course, with their obvious expertise with other areas. You know, where, what areas of storytelling become important in this? Uh, Department of Computer Science is engaged, of course, with, you know, what kind of, what, what are the technologies that we could get to make this more of an interactive, immersive experience? So. I think, and the next steps with that will be to bring that together. We imagine having regular meetings that I like to call whale days, where we bring the community together who work, who are working on these special projects together to share that information and learn from each other. So I really see this as this is an idea that will that will uh, uh, excite and engage many members from across the university. Wow. Okay. And now I guess the last question is for you, Edward. Medium and message is very much uh, everything, but what about space and place? Where is the actual structure once it is realized going to be erected and why? Um, well, that is the real uh, big question. And, and, and there's you know, several hurdles that have to be uh, you know, jumped across as well. One is the funding of it. I don't have all the funding in place to make something like this happen, but um, it's kind of you you kind of imagine it in, into reality. And, and as artists, we do that all the time. I, I look often at, at, at Christo as an artist and, you know, he would just have an idea and just iterate that idea for until, you know, 20 years later it actually happened. So I think the, the short answer to that is to be determined. One of the questions that I've also put to the team is can this be made in such a way that um, it, it, there it's portable that you can break it down and 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 bring the structure into being you know and, and so it can go to art fairs or it can go to uh, festivals and be be something that moves around. So we're also you know we're we're first really trying to see can it stand on its own in a place permanently, and can we make a version that it can be broken down and put into a container and shipped mm -hmm. uh, to an event. Um, so, so these are all, still all the questions that, that remain to be answered. And so there isn't, you know, there are, you know, locations one can say, you know, go to the coast and go back to, to, to close to where, you know, where the event occurred is, is an, a, a kind of an interesting geographic 
kind of uh, approach to it, or do you put it in a public space in the in the most you know in the busiest city in the world, like you know Toronto or Montreal or whatever, where th you know thousands of people will see it, and um, and also I, I see it as a potential as an addition that there are three permanents and one mobile one, mm -hmm. and so the permanent you know we could have three of them existing in different places once we've figured that out. So as an addition of three, so these are all things that once the feasibility study is done, once we kind of know what it's going to cost to make one of these, because I don't know that either, um, because we need to know what it's going to take. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think all of this, you know, falls under that umbrella of feasibility, and that's why it's so exciting to work, you know, with the teams at Queens to see you know, what is it, what is it going to take to make this, uh, or is this just a dream and it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not, you know, we won't be able to solve the neck problem, or, you know, or, or whatever. So, so it is a kind of an interesting uh, process because there is a possibility of failure here. Anything else to add folks before we close today? Kevin? No, no, this is just, it's been a lot of, been a fun conversation and uh, it's, it's, it's an exciting project to be part of. Edward, last words? Yeah, well, it's it's really uh, for me. It's it's really exciting to take something that was an idea from five years ago, and now to see how far along that idea has has come, and now to publicly come out with it, uh, something that's been kind of quietly brewing in the back of my mind now for five years, and now to have it out in the world and and to have uh, bigger conversations about it, and that's part of it as well, telling the stories about the creation of it and the and the fact that this magnificent animal still is with us and it's up to us to make sure it continues to be with us. Thank you so much. Folks, we have been chatting with Dr. Edward Bertinsky, world-renowned Canadian photographer, about his new Standing Whale public art piece. And we've also been talking with Dr. Kevin Deluzio, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science, about the collaborative opportunities that uh, engineering and arts and science students and faculty members will uh, undertake to help Edward Bertinsky realize this goal. Thank you both very much for joining me here on Campus Beat on CFRC. We really do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.